Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Scott and welcome back to the show. My guests today are none other than New Zealand's own multi-platinum electro pop band, The Naked and the Famous. As I mentioned, you know them from hits like Young Blood, Punching in a Dream, and Higher. Excited to have them on the show in just a moment. We're going to get into the new record, their past history, their journey in life. We're actually going to have them play a few songs, which I'm really excited about. The second time we've had live performances on the show. So stay tuned in just a moment for The Naked and the Famous. We have Tom and Alyssa coming right up. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots' tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hello. Hey, hey, hello. Hey, guys. How's it going? How are you? Very good. Thanks for having us. I look a little red on this, but uh, I assure you I'm not that red in person. (laughs) (laughs) My guests today are the incredible Naked and the Famous New Zealand Zone. We're going to get into their whole history and journey, multi-platinum award-winning, their entire path and journey. Tom and Alyssa, how are you guys? We're good, thank you. It's Alisa. And- Alisa, I'm sorry. By the way, Alisa, I have no idea how to pronounce your last name. So if you could just yeah, give, me give it a I'm- shot, go. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't even want to try it because I knew I would get it wrong. So I'm a walking icebreaker. So yeah, I'm yeah. What? Xylith. So like, how you say xylophone? Xylith. 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 Okay. Well, we got that. Yours is very easy, Tom. So I would never match yours up at all. So anyway, how are yeah, you guys uh- doing today? Good, good, good. We are uh, doing great, actually. You're in Laurel Canyon? Where are you guys holed up in this pandemic? Well, Tom lives five minutes up the road from me. So we're in, we're in Epic Park, Silver Lake. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool, yeah. cool. And how are your friends and family doing back home? How is New Zealand dealing with this pandemic? 
You haven't seen the news? I have, but I feel like they're, they've actually had it way under control compared to the travesty that's going on here. So just to hear from you guys, I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's eradicated. They, they eradicated. Yeah, they back to no, cases, life no cases now. in the country. Wow, it's incredible. So it's incredible that you could have some place where there's no cases, although obviously the population is a lot smaller. It's still amazing the differences in the way that people handle this thing, right? It's, it's incredible. Yeah. So I want to get into your whole journey, you know, your history. I want to play a few songs. Obviously, definitely want to get into how you guys met and the history of the band. So walk me back through it. I know from when you guys were young age, I, I believe that your parents were both musicians, right? Yeah. Uh, my dad sung in a Lao community band, so I actually grew up um, with Lao music in my house and didn't learn English until I had to go to school. Um, yeah, so he was he was in a Lao community band, and he would play at play like local community events, and all the Lao people were dancing and having a good time. So yeah, my dad loved to sing. Is and, that like folk music, Lao music, would you say? Yeah, Lao folk music. And, and singing is very embedded into the Lao culture. They love karaoke. People love to sing. Amazing. I love karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom, your, your dad was also a musician or really into music, taught you guitar or whatnot? Yeah, yeah, my dad was a folk singer-songwriter. I mean, he still is a folk singer-songwriter. Um, so, yeah, he, uh, he just played guitar to me a lot when I was a little boy um, and then taught me a couple of songs when I was like maybe like 10 years old somewhere around there and then <clears throat> but then it also after that my friends in my age group like I grew up when new metal was like peaking oh wow okay I pronounced the w it's new metal <laughs> right um, when new metal was like peaking so like my upbringing was like I just wanted to be a guitar player in like a rock band like that oh, was, okay cool yeah we'll have a lot to talk about I didn't know that that was actually your background for some reason I thought it was more like Radiohead and I know you're into PJ Harvey growing up and stuff like that right yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, no, I, it, when I, I mean, I mean, like when I was like 10, 11, you know what I mean? Like, so were you into, what, what was the new met? What was new metal for you? Was it Slipknot? What were you listening to back then? Oh, absolutely. Loved the self-titled first record. Um, okay. I, I was huge into that. Just honestly, so much like all the, all the big names, stuff like Korn and like, yeah. it was good, man. I, it's so funny now. Cause like we're at this generation, like, generational yeah. point where like people make like Limbiscuit jokes all the time about right. like, like so many memes. But like all my friends will like that's a joke, and then we'll secretly be like, yeah, I actually listened to the album the other day. Like, right. <laughs> like sneak it on, which is really funny. Because um, the truth is, your music makes people want to dance. It's almost like dark, brooding pop synth stuff. It has no relation whatsoever to new metal. So it's no. actually pretty interesting that you grew up listening to that. Yeah, you know, but I mean, that quick, I, I grew up listening to that when Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 was like the best thing in the world. And then, as, you know, very quickly after that, when I was, you know, like about 12 to 14, um, that's when I started like getting into alternative music more generally speaking. And then I very early on, like when I was like really young, I was a massive fan of uh, Massive Attack and Porter's Head mm. and really loved Bjork's two first records all the way through high school like was a big Bjork fan um so like it's sort of but I feel like that's actually kind of typical as well for that era like that sort of branching out into the rock leaning alternative yeah yeah music. um but then when when I met Elisa like we were like into very much just like alternative general general alternative music so she showed me the yeah yeahs and then I was really into tv on the radio and Elisa like Fiona Apple like big fan of Apple Fies, PJ Harvey, Bjork fan when we first met and then he showed me TV on the radio 
and I also was already a fan of Porter's Head and Massive Attack, and then he introduced me to Nine Inch Nails. I'm like, wow, what is this? By, by the way, I think the greatest show I've ever seen in my life was Nine Inch Nails Live. I, I've seen, I mean, I don't know if you know, my background, I'm a musician too, and so I've obviously performed a bunch, but I never, I, until I saw Trent Reznor and the band play a few years ago, I'd actually never seen such an amazing concert. It was incredible. Yeah. yeah, insane. We've we've been lucky enough to see them play as well. And actually, really early on in our career in 2009, we got to open for them. We amazing, did the, amazing. Like the old-fashioned hustle where we went into the booking agent's office and dropped off our CD and like, please put in a good <laughs> yeah, yeah. word for us. We'd love to open for them. It was like, this is before Youngblood and any of our international success. We were just like a, you know, spray painting our own seven inches vinyl kind of band with like, you know, no following or anything like that. Just just playing local gigs, and we got to um, got to open for them on an arena show. It was amazing. It was insane. <laughs> I actually once brought a date to Nine Inch Nails, and, and the, within the first two songs, she's like, "Please get me out of here." It was so intense. <laughs> I mean, you're either like into that or you're not into that. There was no middle ground. She was like, "Please," I was. This is like devil music. I was like, "It's not. Yeah. It's incredible." Um, but take me back for a minute there, because just talking about your path and journey. So, how did you guys meet? You guys were both obviously into folk music growing up, and then you know that slowly the influences creeped in, like Portishead, Massive Attack. That's where I can see the references to the music now. But how did you meet? Were you both really hyper-focused on making it and being in a band when you were in your teens? Well, I... Not teens. Not teens. It wasn't until I was about 19 years old. So I had finished high school, didn't want to get a crazy uh, debt going to university, doing something that I was just not into. Decided to go on a gap year, came home, and decided that I would do music professionally. And I enrolled into this music school, and the, that's the same place where I met Tom and he had some of his friends in my class I was doing the um, live music songwriting composition course and he was doing an audio engineering course and so through mutual friends we kind of connected and then begun writing and recording music together he was like do you like Limp Biscuit?" and you were like absolutely not yeah, yeah, that was my, <laughs> that was I think I was like the only girl in my class that liked alternative music I think I was the only one in my class that like I was like Björk. All the rest of the kids in my class were like into hip hop and R and B, and so when I found and connected with Tom, I was like, oh my gosh, we actually like the same stuff. That's really yeah. And what what is the music scene like in New Zealand? What was it like growing up? I mean, was, is it all the same? Not all the same bands translated to over there, or do they? I don't know. I mean, no. So like <clears throat> when Elisa and I got together and started the Naked and Famous in 2006. The local in, the local music scene was predominantly guitar-leaning music. This is in Auckland and Wellington, or just actually nationwide. It was very guitar-oriented. So, um, and there was two things going on. There were like lots of sort of Bell and Sebastian-influenced kinds of groups. Right. Um, uh, Sushan Stevens kind of yeah. opening acts and then there were also it was the wake in the wake of the strokes and uh, you know the early Kings of Leon records when they were quite you know they were quite alternative they were yeah. like mainstream I actually rock. prefer those records yeah yeah with like yeah. the bucket and stuff yeah, like, yeah, yeah. all the bands at the time like heard that song like what is this yeah um, and so there were all these like indie rock like indie rock bands um, it was a massive kind of 
uh, explosion of sort of, you know, I say massive, it was, you know, small in Auckland, New Zealand. Explosion right. <laughs> of like, you know, uh, indie bands playing like gigs every weekend at house parties and local bars and stuff. And it was a really cool scene. And Alisa and I, uh, you know, we would go to the gigs and we, we also were working at a record store. So we were like... Together, you were both working there. Yeah, yeah. We drove. I, got, I got him the job. Oh, nice. <laughs> I got him the job and I didn't tell them that we were in a relationship at the time because it would have been, you know... Conflict of interest. Conflict of interest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, uh, they, it was quite funny. We, was, we were separated in the store anyway, though. I was at the yeah, tr yeah. trades counter and Lisa was in the clothing, was the doing, fashion department. I was doing like... There was a clothing section in the record store, so I kind of flipped between like selling music and selling clothes. That's good. So did the relationship come first or did the, the writing together come first? No, we were a couple first. Okay. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and in, and in two, is that around 2008, 2009? Is that around that time period? 2006. Yeah. Okay. So then at that point, you start writing songs. You end up living at, at Tom, your mom's house, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, so to answer your question about the scene, like... um. It was very much like all these indie bands playing live gigs and and i remember thinking this isn't how i got into like music i didn't get into music through gigs and and there was all this like uh social or, and or peer pressure to kind of like be a band and be playing these house parties and stuff and i was like i think we should go into the studio and like learn how to record and make an ep and just focus there yeah and then try like put the music out into the world so people can hear it so <laughs> revolutionary idea right. it was really funny because at the time we got so much shit for it like all the indie bands like hated us because we just fast-tracked ourselves into the public eye like we put out this ep called this machine and it was in the sunday paper it got a five-star review it was the only ep to ever be like reviewed in the sunday paper amazing um, so we, we kind of like shortcutted uh ourselves straight to having success and then we had did really well on college radio down there and we had like a, a music video that was on the local so not local it was like the nationwide equivalent of like mtv um so we had all this success early on in our home country and yeah the, the like all the indie bands are really spiteful of us and they didn't like us at all we were like sh sort of shunned and bullied and picked was up. there like a competitive scene there in new zealand or was it only a handful of bands that were trying to do what you guys were doing it, it was definitely competitive yeah. like playing live shows and like getting like notoriety through that avenue was kind of like a rite of passage and we just totally yeah. bypassed that and yeah. they were not they were like well you haven't, they haven't, your you haven't proven yourself you're not <laughs> yeah. a real band yeah, like we hadn't done our time so we and we got honestly like horrendously cyberbullied and this is wow. like myspace days this is like 2008 yeah. so like yeah the good days. old myspace days right. yeah um <laughs> So that was kind of rough. And so we actually honestly developed a bit of a chip on our shoulders about New Zealand's, the New Zealand music industry. Um, I feel like I've let it go now, but it's there's a very, we call it the tall poppy syndrome. So that, you know, like a field of poppies are all growing yeah, yeah, yeah. and one creeps above and you gotta chop it down so it's in line with everyone else. And that's the, that is the mentality. As far as I understand, that actually is still prevalent here. Uh, I, I mean, in New Zealand, we were speaking with a journo um, a couple of weeks back and they were telling us that it's like honestly it's still like that in New Zealand which is such a bummer um, and were there other bands from that scene that I would know that were around when you guys were just starting uh, there was a band called cut off your hands that were doing well internationally in the UK um, another band that we idolized called the mint chicks okay, the I mint haven't heard of them which uh, oh my God. the Nielsen brothers Coda Nielsen Ruben Nielsen 
Ruben Nielsen went on to create Unknown Mortal Orchestra. UMO. And uh, Cody Nielsen does another great band called Opossum. There was a band called The Brunettes that were really big and that had some international success. Oh, yeah. Uh, another band called... Uh, we're from Devonport. What were their names? The Chicks. The Chicks. I don't know. Yeah, The Chicks. Um, for a minute. But, yeah, but it sounds like none had the international success that you guys ended up achieving. No, no, no. Yeah. close. And, no. And, and that was like... Honestly, we were like the first. Um, it was like us. We had this international success that was what, what all the bands used to do, right? Is because we are a part of the Commonwealth and we have this English connection, which it's funny. I forget until I go home and I turn on the TV and my parents and I are like scrolling through English game shows. Like, it's funny. We, we grow up with so much English culture. Yeah. Um, and a lot of Kiwis will just, you know, like Elisa saying before, she had a gap year. They'll just go live in England for mm. two years or something and then come home. Um, so we had this English connection and we intuited that that's what we were supposed to do. If we did well as a band, we'd just go to England and play gigs and start in England. And so we actually signed to an English label, but we blew up in the USA. Um, so t talk to me through how that process happened, right? So obviously, you know, at a certain point, you guys, it's 2009, you start writing all these songs, you put out the EP, uh, and then Youngblood comes about. So I'd love to know how that song came about. Obviously, you got the guitar there, so there's a chance we might actually uh, get a treat and get to hear that too. Yeah, we'll um, talk to me about the process of writing that song, and, and up until that point from like 2006 to 2009 when you wrote that song, which ended up being maybe undeniably your biggest hit, right? Um, yeah. How did that happen? And how did you get your team together, your record label? Because you, you mentioned that you had a, a record deal in London. Well, we actually... We were living at Tom's mum's house yeah. on the artist benefit, which is something that the government um, has available to, to working artists. And Is that like unemployment, would you say? It's like unemployment, yeah. but for artists. And okay. um, they, they really help kind of... Uh, they help artists uh, financially to go into the field that they want to have a profession in. And so... We got help from the government, so we were on, we're living at Tom's mum's house. Uh, Tom had a set up in the bedroom. I would go into the living room and work, and um, we were just, I was just mucking around on a keyboard one day, just going bum, 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 bum. And um, Tom was just like, oh, play that again. <laughs> and so I played it again, and then he put all these effects, a uh, delay, slap delay, and so you got the dun, da dun, da dun, dun, dun. And that, that little spark just created an entire track. Two hours, we had the track laid down. I went off and wrote lyrics, wrote melodies. We came back together, showed each other what we had. And we had Youngblood. Youngblood was like written in two or three hours. Yeah. And lyrically, where was the inspiration for that song from? Because obviously, you know, your music is so upbeat, but yet lyrically, a lot of it's very dark, if people don't know. And there's a lot of depth yeah. between, you know, behind a lot of the songs. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I think at that time, like the melting pot of influences that Tom and I were kind of listening to, it was like M83, Nine Inch Nails, um, The Years, uh, Passion Pit. Yeah. Um, loads of the mint chicks as loads well. Loads of the mint chicks. So <laughs> like <clears throat> well, heavy, heavy, heavy guitar-driven music because that song has really bombastic yeah. guitars. Yeah. Um, but also, I want to say that like oh, and Bonnie Vere, Bonnie Vere, which is where you stole a production, a yeah, local yeah, production. Yeah. Um, honestly, honestly, it's like it's funny because like the actual songwriting of that of that song, and honestly, most Naked and Famous songs, you we can't trace really 
a influence to the actual songwriting. It's more like it's easy to see after the song's written, recorded, and produced. It's like we kind of play detective on it, and we go back and we look at like why did we decide to do this thing here? Like the, like what Elise was saying with uh, Youngblood, it's like a triple tracked vocal of Elisa. So we recorded her three times, singing the same part, and then that's what what's what gives it that sort of chorusy, watery, yeah, dreamy. I would say. Yeah, and, and chanty sort of effect, right? Mm -hmm. And that is uh, something that Bon Iver did for basically all of all of the first record is like just loads and loads of triple track vocals. Yeah, like, yeah. I say triple, it might even sometimes I swear he tracks it like five times. Yeah, yeah. All kind of like all the all the recordings sort of like go out of sync with each other, and you know they sort of uh, they phase out and stuff like that. Well, it's almost like using the vocal as an instrument, really. Yeah, exactly, and and so. So that's where we stole that production idea. Mm. But the actual lyrics themselves, like the actual core creative content, like the chords, the st uh, you know, that just kind of came out like quite cluelessly, quite like blindly, very much like just comes out of the ether. You know, like Elisa just sat down and just wrote the lyrics. She wasn't like referencing a book or anything like that. She was just going, I'm going to write a poem and like, here it is. Here's my, here's my lyrics. So Elisa, it's more stream of consciousness is kind of where a lot of yeah. the lyrics come from for you? I look back it's like um <laughs> i describe young blood as like our coming of age film if it was in a song yeah and i guess when i was writing the lyrics it, you know it comes from uh the perspective of somebody who's been who's feeling young and insecure and unstable and and yet and self-aware and optimistic for the future um and uh Another crazy thing about that is uh, I, the way I'm singing on that record, up until that point, I've never sung like that. I was so influenced by PJ Harvey and Feist, I was more of like into crooning, you know, like, like, right, right. So if you go back and listen to the EPs, I'm kind of singing down low like this. Um, so Youngblood was like a creative vocal breakthrough for us it was so new and so when we felt like the song had something special we were like oh we've got to do that again and we did that again with yeah. punching in the dream so we we wrote wrote the song really quickly and then we recorded it you know we had a band at that point we had members playing with us we were just trying to uh play local gigs and practice practice on the weeknights and none of us had any money everyone was living at home we were like a broke ass band it was pretty great um, this is amazing when you have your biggest hit, you're on unemployment, right? It's like yeah, when the two of those coincide. All, all, all the band members are like either 19 or 20 and we're all living in our parents' places. It's, yeah, it's crazy how that happens. Um, and yeah, so we recorded the song though, at, uh, we found a studio and it was just like, I was in heaven just going into a studio and like producing an album recording. I was like, oh, this is what I've always wanted to do. It's like, <laughs> we made it, we're a real rock band. Still earn no money or anything like that. Completely broke still driving back to mom's house. And then we found uh, a mixer overseas, a guy called Billy Bush, um, who was like, he was, he was amazing. He, he gave this, he gave this song, it's kind of like life as a mix. And so we mixed the song and then we put it out in New Zealand just independently. Uh, we had like a, you know, distro deal with Universal down there. We put out the single and it just like went straight to number one in New Zealand. It like, was it went crazy it was just a wild week we didn't know what the hell was happening and your um, life changes overnight literally yeah, just like basically. that totally yeah. and then 
after that, like all the international labels like heard about us and heard the song and then it went viral and... So we ended up playing um, some shows and people from uh, the States all, and all the UK the just flew down to see us play. I'm like, well, And then flew us around the world and, then, and all this stuff. It was, yeah. it was on wild. Old fashioned like record label wine and... Courting, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to talk about like which label you chose and how that process happened. But because we had such a great intro to Youngblood, maybe we can hear a little bit of Youngblood or Punching in a Dream. Or you got the guitar there, yeah, so yeah, I feel yeah. like uh, this would be a good time to segue to a couple of my favorite tracks. And we'll talk about the new album and obviously get into some new music too. So cool. Cool. All right. Ready? Yeah. We're only young and naive still.
Amazing. Bravo. Incredible. We were just listening to The Naked and the Famous, Youngblood. 144 million streams on that song. Who would have thought from uh, kids that were unemployed, living at your mom's house, from Auckland? <laughs> Pretty incredible. band as well. What's that? I wonder what it would have been if it had like, come out now when oh. like, Spotify was a thing. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. We gotta, we'll, we'll get into all that whole conversation. It, you know, it, it's funny because those songs take on a whole new meaning when you hear them done that way. It almost reminds me reminiscent of like Fleetwood Mac in a sense. Um, well, another band, band that had uh, people that dated within the band. Absolutely. It's a shit show. This oh all looks good, right? This is just contractual. <laughs> We're just behaving because we... <laughs> Does it ever get hard, uh, you know, being in a relationship together and playing together? I, kn I know the pitfalls of being in a band for many years myself. It is like a relationship in itself. So it's that like, dynamic with the two of you guys, how has that been over the years? It's, I, I always tell people, I'm like, Tom and I are forever a work in process because there's just so much history and so much weight. Our communication is sometimes so loaded, you know, like I could say one thing and it could totally like, mean something completely different or get misinterpreted and vice versa what do you and mean like, do i want a cup of tea and that <laughs> and that can be really problematic you know so we've really had to learn how to be patient with one another and and when you've been in a creative partnership for as long as we have that patience like doesn't exist compromise sometimes doesn't exist we both have our own ideas of what we want for the band and what we think we should do for the future of this band and the business and how songs should be finished and how things should be produced and how i should be singing and how i should write a certain line it's just, there are just so many things because you've been together what 10 years now or longer well 2006 so uh like 12 i guess that's 14. Um, 14 years huh? and and the main difference today is that we were a five piece and we had three guys in the band and like they were almost like our, our committee that we would like defer to when Tom and I couldn't agree. And now it's just the two of us. But now that we're older and hopefully a little wiser, um, the navigation when we have disagreements uh, is a little less like heated than we were <laughs> back in our mid twenties. <laughs> well, that, that song was incredible. Talk me through this process guys. So. You write that song, obviously it blows up. You're getting all these awards, right? New Zealand, NME, different things. And so at a certain point, you know, the, the debut album comes out and there's a bunch of hits on that record too. So let's talk about the process from, you know, that first song to where we are today and how, you know, that, that path and that journey for you guys and how it's been. Yeah. Um, gosh. So, I mean, right after we signed deals and became an international band and the young blood started blowing up everywhere, it was just two years of our life spent on the road, basically touring. We just toured and toured and toured every market that was like, you know, uh, exploding for us. So like, first it was, we were over in England and then in Europe, and then we came to America and then we went back to England and then we got a bit of uh, stuff happening in Japan and then we went to Singapore. Like it was just kind of chasing where, it, where the song was resonating with people. Um, so we just did that for two years and didn't Kept have any, lives didn't have any other than the other band. Than the band. Yeah. Which People was, think the road is very glamorous until you actually go on the road and they're like, it's not that glamorous. We, it's not glamorous, but we got really good at it. Honestly, we were like very accustomed to, to living like that for a little while. And it was loads of fun. We just, we had some really, we had some really cool like working vacations, basically. We lived in, not lived, but we stayed, we went to this tiny little studio in Wales 
um, which was pretty unreal. It was oh, like... it's on, like, I don't know how many acres of land it was, this uh, place a, is. It's yeah. called Monkey Studios, M-W-N-C-I Studios. And we played Glastonbury Festival in 2011, which was, like, such a massive highlight of that yeah. year. And then afterwards, we went to this retreat residential studio situation. It's just green everywhere. You, you know, yeah. you can see the fairies in the field somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Like really enchanted kind of situation. And um, we were living and working there. And then, so we did that for a little while. And then we went back to New Zealand at one point And we just got this, like, holiday home with a pool. And just, like, all we were all learning to, uh, you know, those really silly, tacky things they call snake boards? It's like one wheel. They're like a kid's skateboard, uh, but it's like one wheel on each side. And you have to, like, do this to get them to move. We sort just spent yeah. weeks learning how to snakeboard around the pool. Um, yeah, but the, the five of us were all living together and traveling together and playing together. So it was just like this, you know, traveling little circus of ours. And were the other three members contributing a lot to the writing process at that point? Or was it really just you two still? Uh, it was just no. us. We, we've okay. always been the writers. They were the band and, and they were how... Like, I'd always wanted to have um, a band like Nine Inch Nails, basically. Right. So, you know, I had the, the core sort of songwriters, and then it was supplemented by this this band, you know, of, of live members. And we recorded albums together, and so it's very much like, I, I think, if I remember correctly, it's kind of similar to like, well, I, I mean, I feel like a lot of bands are like this. There's a, there's a core sort of songwriter or songwriters, and then there's the is the members and they they all add like a style and a flavor and it creates the holistic sound of who the band is but um you know i was still writing all the drum parts and and programming everything uh, all the bass parts and stuff like that so um you know it, it's you could be you could hear our al our albums from our eps to uh recover cool. and like not think that there'd been any sort of members or anything you know it just yeah. sounds like us yeah. doing us um and then the second record uh we ended up making in the states 2012 we moved into a house just on the edge of like studio city in laurel canyon it's pretty fun pretty damn fun house all five of us living together yeah and how's the adjustment moving to la from you know new zealand is it a big adjustment or is it you know At life as usual at, no, at, at very first, when I look back on it, I, I was miserable here. I didn't want to be here. Mm. I wanted to actually live in England because, I guess, because the, of the cultural similarities between New Zealand and England. Um, I just felt more comfortable there. And when I came to LA, all I'd known of American culture was just like stuff I'd see on E! News, American movies, um, like celebrityism. Uh, plastic surgery and I was like I don't know if this culture is for me I don't know if I can be here I'm like and then I got to know got to know people and I got taken around areas I'm like oh LA isn't just Hollywood Boulevard there's so much more to this city than meets the eye yeah so it was a place we kept coming back to actually like at first yeah we had our noses up in the air a little bit which again is a kind of New Zealand's sort of mentality but also you know I don't know America's been making a pretty fantastic uh, caricature of itself over the last few years. So, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe we, weren't, maybe we weren't isolated in that sort of snobbery towards the country. But, um, but we love America now. It's been so good to us. And yeah. I love living here and I love the life that we've created for ourselves. Yeah. So, so at first we were like, you know, we, we felt sort of a distance. But then 
we came here so much and we had such fun here and like had such a good time and it felt like there was just all these things that kept drawing us back to LA and even at first when we when we were like touring we'd hear other bands being like yo we're moving to LA and we'd be like oh god typical you know like <laughs> right. cheesy. and then we became that band right uh, we really wanted to move to LA we just met so many great people here and had so much fun here and it just like it actually felt like a creative place and we're lucky because lots of people do come to LA and have a terrible time and it is full of Hollywood you know what I mean yeah. it's like where Hollywood is so it can be like horrifically embarrassing and have it does you know you could you could accidentally come here and experience like a total lack of irony no question. I mean, there's definitely little pockets where music has popped up along the years for sure. But LA has always been an epicenter yeah. for music. And, and, yeah. and when you look at the map, it's like, of course, we're going to LA. I mean, that this is yeah. where music is. And, and the live music scenario in LA has always been very vibrant. And now God knows, I want to get into that conversation with you guys too. And fast forward to where we are in our lives today and what's going on and how bands are surviving and if concerts will return in the next two years even. But this was the place to be for many, many years for music and, and especially for, you know, for live acts. So, you know, fast forward to, to another track that I love from you guys, uh, Punching in a Dream. I want to know how that, you know, that song was written. Obviously, there, I know there's a story about anxiety, Alyssa, that you can maybe talk to. Yeah, um, there was so much social anxiety happening for both of us at the time. We were experiencing a lot of like cyberbullying online. The band was experiencing cyberbullying, and um, just because you were successful in your home in town, yeah, is that it? Just because we didn't didn't do the rite of passage playing live shows. You know, a lot of people believed that what we had. Um, all the accolades we received were undeserved and you know we, we were feeling pretty shit about like going out to play shows that were like radio festival lineups where those sad bands would be on the on the bill and just you know the minute we would start playing you could just feel them like snickering at you and just like being really smug about us being there yeah we got really bullied it was it's kind of it's amazing now because the cyberbullying that we received for being who we were and or being successful in New Zealand. Now, if it happened now, it would be, it, it would, it's, it's like sexual harassment. Is oh yeah, I'm sure. Say, which was, it's wild because at the time, I think we were, you know, we're going like, oh, well, this is just people on the internet and we just have to brush it off. And it's amazing to see how attitudes in the world has changed since like, you know, these incredible cultural movements like the Me Too movement has happened. Yeah. Where what was seen as just like a bit of online you know, like being funny and ironic and picking on a band now is just completely unacceptable. So yeah. some of it, but you know, that's, that was the level of like um, harassment and bullying that was going on. And it honestly, awful. it was just like, it's it just awful. really tough for Lisa and I to deal with. And I like had this, we played this show down in Wellington and I just, I thought I'd, I thought I had food poisoning or something. I didn't, I didn't know that you could feel so, um, nauseous from anxiety, from anxiety. Uh -huh. so we, we finished the show and i just like ran back to this little shitty hotel room that we were staying at and i was just like i just thought i was gonna be ill but i, I was just so anxious that i was feeling nauseous all night and so there's a line in punching in a dream says bright lights turn me green and that's kind of like what that was talking about um yeah it's just wanting to get out of a situation 
So it's incredible because if you talk about cyberbullying, especially as it relates to the song, I mean, it always surprises me because people would never come up to you in person and say the things that they say online. But because oh. there's no consequences and there never really has been consequences, it's all faceless and people think they can get away with it. But imagine if anyone came up to you in person and said those things, you would like punch them. I mean, these are not things that like people would ever say to anyone, in, in, you know, in person. Well, so it's, you know, yeah, sure. it's almost, cow it's very cowardly, actually, in a sense, you know. Yeah, it is. But you know what? It There's... I think there's more of a psychological explanation behind it than we realize or then as common knowledge because it is the I, it's like road rage you right. know people, people will turn into like monsters behind mm. the car and get really yeah. angry and when, you know when asked to step out of their car and go and talk to the other person wouldn't do that and, and would just mm -hmm. sooner avoid a confrontation or you know be polite courteous so it is a weird phenomenon and i think if someone was you know like i'm trying my best now when people are snarky to just like to be like, hey, hi, it's nice to meet you. My name's Tom. Are you okay? You know, like, <laughs> right. what, what made you want to be such a dick just then? And I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to, I, I, like, yeah, I, I have, feel like I have a different attitude to that stuff now because I feel like if you show people kindness, you can just crack through whatever faux pas they just made. And I, I don't know, I, I just have this belief that most people aren't actually as bad as they behave. I agree. And also living through what we're living through right now, you would hope that the world would be coming together and there would be more kindness in the world because God knows we definitely need it. So I don't know. Would you be so kind to, uh, you know, punching in a dream? One of my other favorite tracks, Naked yeah. and the Famous. You got the guitar. Now I see you got the acoustic, Tom. So we might as well. Uh... I just have to change it up. Yeah, of course. I love how I'm able to just call out the song. This is great. You know, I never, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we've been for this moment. No, we've, we've, because of this quarantine, we've been having to go back and, and learn versions of the songs. The well, they, they take on a whole new meaning, and it's been really beautiful. So, looking forward. Oh. Punching in a dream, making in the famous.
watching in a dream Leading life into my nightmare I don't ever want to be here Like punching in a dream Leading life into my Amazing. Punching in a dream. The record's 10 years old. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> wow, it's amazing when you think back, right? It's incredible. Such a great song. I actually think I saw you guys perform that at Coachella. So it's oh, great to hear in this version. Yeah, so great. Of our career also. That That's was right. an incredible, incredible moment for us. Coachella, Glastonbury, winning some awards, right? What are the other highlights that you guys remain? Um, playing actually playing some european festivals we played one of the biggest european festivals it's called ziget festival it's in budapest um and it's a it's it's a crazy thing when you visit a country where english isn't like the first language and they're just singing along and yeah. everyone's just connected and and there and i don't know live shows it's, it's there's something so electric about playing live that i just missed so yeah. much oh. yeah we, we all miss it i mean i want to i want to talk about your new record obviously you just put out an ep uh, uh top of the year death uh let's talk about sort of the subject matter i know you have a, a not you know your your full length is actually coming out very soon recover right july 26 i believe right yeah death is on death's on recover it's it's they're doing this interesting thing on spotify now which is a little like i'm gonna like i'm gonna lose it or something here um right. so what you do is like you put out a single and then there's a thing called waterfalling which is like you put out another single and it, it goes on the EP and then the previous single comes below it. So yeah, that, it's almost like confusing, but it looked like Death was the EP, but it's actually like a, a four song single more or less. It's just basically every time you put out a single, you can kind of tack it onto the last single so that you get people to, you know, see the new single, they listen to it and then it'll, it'll go on to the next one. So it waterfalls down into your previous singles. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting sort of like, strategy strategy really but like strategy. we're kind of just like hands up in the air like okay this is the new model whatever back in the day we used to put so much like care and consideration and, and concern for this stuff like if we were putting out a single the b side the the a side and the b side that were really strategically chosen and the artwork it was exact and now we're just like okay what's the dsp platform asking us to do this way whatever we'll just do that like it's and it's funny because a lot of the stuff that we used to care about no one cares about it anymore there's no yeah. room there's yeah. no space in the market for it anymore. No one like is that interested. And there's it's there's so much music. It's so oversaturated. There's so many things to listen to. So you have to kind of like you actually have to shit away a lot of that stuff and just get to the point. You know, what are you putting out? What does it mean? That's it. So so recovers a new album and let's talk a little bit about uh sort of the meaning behind it and the fact that you guys are now sort of a duo, right? Stripped down, you don't have the other band members, and also what life's like now during this time period because Sony bands like yourself, I mean, this is all you guys do. So obviously, like when you can't tour the last, you know, the next year or so, I mean, how do you survive? I mean, do you take out a government loan? Do you, you know, what, what is the course of action? Where are you guys at? Uh, you know, because it's a, a very interesting conversation on what bands can do now because it's everyone has to pivot, right? So you do a lot well, of these kind of things and whatnot. Well, 
for us, in terms of all the loans and stuff available, we're US tax residents and we are, we're on O visas. So we can't take uh, any loans because that would tell your government that we're not working and that. The definition of the visa that we're on is that we're exceptional aliens, which you, mm. you can't really come in and be like, uh, you know, I'm an exceptional alien in my industry. Can I have some support from the government? They're like, uh, meanwhile, Pearl like, Jam, the Eagles and Guns N' Roses are getting millions of dollars. And you are the guys that actually, you know, band, the smaller indie bands that are that are doing working so hard you are the guys that need it right so yeah. ultimately i don't know if pearl jam and the eagles need the five million dollar ppp loans uh, they're receiving so. but also because because we're us tax residents we aren't uh, we aren't we don't verify for any kind of grants from new zealand the new zealand's funding of the, of the arts um for musicians um so we're kind of in a, this weird in between yeah. spot right now and uh, we are just, just trying to cut down on like we're buying. just keeping it lean and trying to make things stretch. <laughs> yeah. So how do you you know make things make ends meet during a time like this when you can't really perform? Obviously, playing live is probably your primary source of income. You know, what do you what do bands like yourself do during this time period? Well, actually, live is not our main source of income, and that's a big misconception within. Um, you know, medium that, size, that, small to medium size bands. Yeah, well, no, honestly, even on the big size bands as well, like, uh, you know, it's not that the public has this this perception that we make a lot of money live. You make a lot of money live if you are touring for a year and you play lots of festivals and lots of your own shows. And you and sell lots of merch. Because you really are like losing money on one show and then earning a bit on the next and losing some on that tour and then earning it back on this festival so for us and especially when we go out like we are a duo but we'll still go out with the band and we did actually get one live show in this year down in australia oh you did okay so there's it's we're still a rock and roll band when we play live we're yeah. just doing this strip thing here because we're on zoom right, but, right. So, <laughs> i thought like, the whole band was showing up <laughs> no no like oh, that would be cool so, <laughs> i had to set up for that but no nah. So, so we still, you know, we're still a rock and roll band and like, yeah, you play one show, right? And let's say you get a fee for that. And then that's split. Well, first of all, there's road crew the agent. Yeah. Then there's the five crew members that you have on the road with you. They have a weekly wage. That means they get paid for every day. They're every off day as well as every show day. And then you Got have the, the cost of the van, no, cost of the bus, cost of the trailer cost of the, uh, all that stuff so you know like a show can just disappear before everybody gets their um their payment in the end so it's on a, and if you're a band or an act that likes putting on a massive show then you spend so much on your stage show that you yeah. don't come away with like oodles of dollars definitely um, so maybe sinks and things like that are probably things that obviously would be great for you guys during this time absolutely. period and that's yeah. that that had been huge for us in the beginning of our career so honestly i think now the best thing that we can do is just put out a lot more music yeah so talk me through the new record, Recover. Just let's talk about lyrically and where, you know, the place that it came from and some of the concepts behind it. I know there's a lot, a lot to do with color and whatnot, so. Yeah, I feel like um, on Recover, we explore a lot of things, uh, grief, loss, healing, mortality, um, falling back in love, <laughs> um, friendship. The, the title track, um, it's from recover which was inspired by uh, the loss of my mother as a kid and i've written i've i've written about this before on our second record i believe but it's just had when you lose a parent when i 
losing a parent has had like an immense effect on how I live my life and it's just something I will always be dealing with it's something my family will always be dealing with and so um, the week that we wrote that song I was just thinking about her a lot and thinking about all the amazing milestones that I've had in my life and you know my mother was a refugee when she arrived in New Zealand and I just think about I just sometimes I get so sad that she isn't here to witness like I, I bet she didn't think that um, her daughter would be fronting a rock band you yeah know? sure she'd be very proud of you and so it's so yeah so recover was pretty much inspired by that but it also has double meaning because um up until leading up to that point the two years leading up to that when that song was written you know tom and i were having a tough time navigating our creative process we were just at odds with one another and um you know we i suspended our friendship for three months just because like our email back and forth was just so heated and um we had to take a step back and and there was a moment where we were like do do we do we still want to do this do we still want to be in the naked and famous and um is there a future for the naked and famous so when that song came along it was like a eureka moment because um we figured out our creative process we figured out how we wanted to move forward and we figured out the things that we both agreed on that we liked artistically so there's just so much that's that a lot yeah gone into um making this record um do you have a favorite track from the record that you guys like to perform oh that we from like the to new record? From, the new from the new record yeah we, we've only learned a couple of songs off it um we can we've got like a version of Sunseeker and Bury Us that we've played as a live band. We've got a couple of acoustic versions of those that we've been playing as well. Um, those are singles. So, you know, we've been trying to get those out into the world as much as possible. Well, the new records are covered. Why don't you guys take us out and play your favorite new track from the record? I'll come back, ask you a couple more questions. And uh, yeah. yeah, The Naked and the Famous, your favorite track from the new album, Recover. What would that yeah. be, actually? Uh, i tell you what, we can play... You keep changing guitars, so I'm thinking if there's like different <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, let's play Death. Cool. Why not? Yeah. All right. Or All right, not. we're gonna listen to Death. Wait, no, let's play Sunseeker because I've got the tuning. Sunseeker, for okay. I have the tuning. <laughs> okay. And also, we're in a rush because we've got another interview in six minutes. So yeah, yeah. So we're 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 going out on a bang here. Okay, here we go. <laughs> the song's inspired by my dog definitely the first time I've ever written a song inspired by my dog but Sunseeker sun is basically some something or someone who brings a lot of joy into your life here we go digging up the dirt burying the bones you don't have to work to make it feel
Amazing. 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 Well, the new album comes out in just a few days, guys. Recover the naked and the famous. That was incredible. Make sure you pick up the record. One last question I wanted to ask you guys. God forbid, you know, I hope that we all get through this and, and we're all okay. But, you know, what do you think the music landscape will look like in a year from now? You know, when hopefully this is behind us and hopefully there's a vaccine and we can get back to somewhat normality. We don't know. But what do you what do you feel like it'll look like? No idea. Have zero <laughs> like, idea. Maybe yeah. there'll be lots of lots of songs about being in isolation and being quarantined. Probably and people's stories and different perspectives. Um, but I honestly don't. I don't know. I have no idea, and um, I I really just brace for the worst and hope for the best. Doesn't yeah. Un unfortunately, I think um, because people are going to, the industry is going to need so much support and I don't know I'm, there's people that can get support like you said before you know like rich bands taking grants that's great um, unfortunately though I think that the current government is set up to keep uh, the wealthiest happy and healthy and uh, everyone else is kind of fending for themselves which is terrible it really really sucks and I feel yeah. for anyone else I mean Alisa and I we're worried but you know we're we're not going to become homeless like people are going to lose their job i mean have lost Question. their job really looking, struggling so we it's feel already, yeah it's look, already looking bleak there are like music venues that are struggling to yeah the satellite just closed in silver lake and whatnot but well hey guys make sure you support the naked and the fans buy the merch download the music the new record recover i know you guys have another interview so i'm not going to keep it because i'm like clockwork over here so i appreciate it the songs are beautiful i'm looking forward to hanging with you guys in person one of these days i hope we get to meet up in person yeah, uh, that. you're a pleasure and follow the band on social media naked and the famous guys have a great day i appreciate you coming on and download and check out the new record recover july 26. thank you thanks Scott. guys see you soon bye bye, bye. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, so there you have it. What a treat, right? It's so great to have these artists come and play on the show. If you like that and you like the show, please make sure you rate and review the show. It's how the show gets out there. It's how the show survives. The show is free, as you know. So five stars to us on iTunes podcast. It's very important. The show is available everywhere. Please rate and review the show. Be very, very helpful to us. And make sure you stay safe. As I mentioned, uh, you know, this thing is getting out of control, especially in California where I live. I actually had a health scare not long ago where someone very close to me got tested and the testing was negative and then positive. So in fact, I was walking around for about four or five days, actually not walking around. I was actually quarantining for about four or five days thinking um, that I actually came into contact with someone that had it. It turns out the testing was not accurate. Um, and the testing is all over the place and you have to take care. You have to wear the masks. It's not that hard. We need to stay together, especially in California. We do not want it to go back to phase one where we all have to stay indoors now for months. So please do your part. Really important. Much love. Take care of yourself. Be safe. And I'll speak to you guys soon with another exciting episode. Coming up next, 
Alan McGee from Creation Records. He started the Brit pop rock scene with Oasis, Primal Scream, and more. Excited to have him join us next week. Thanks again. Tune in and uh, stay safe, guys. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and Western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.